Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock! It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock! Oh, that was really interesting, mate, yeah. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Oi, oi. And we're going to do something a little different. In this episode, we're going to go back to our roots, and we're going to be taking an in-depth look at a position that continues to spark, I would say, a lot of debate amongst Spurs fans, which is the fullback role. So this is an idea that Bardi's had, uh, and we, if it works well, we might do it in other positions, but fullback's a particularly interesting one. And what we're going to do is talk about the history of the role, pick some examples of our favourite fullbacks, non-Spurs, and then also examine some uh, Spurs fullbacks that, that caught our eye in previous years. So we'll be leaving out the Rose Davis or a Trippier discussion, because we've done that, we've, we've spoken about that plenty, and instead look back at a role which was once described as where you put your, the worst player in your team. So Jamie Carragher fa- uh, famously observed, no one wants to grow up to be a Gary Neville. Um, but of course, fullbacks have become increasingly vital in modern football. And in the summer 2017 transfer window, there were £210 million spent on fullbacks. City alone spent £130 million on Benjamin Mendy, Danilo and Kyle Walker. Whilst obviously we paid twenty three million for Aurier and Chelsea the same for Zappa Costa, so this is now a key role in most teams. We'll start off by talking a little bit about the history of the role. Nathan, what's your understanding of how the role has developed over the years? Well, I think the name confuses people, you know, especially um, Americans who get into the sport sort of in their teens or whatever. Um, because they're called the fullbacks, but they're not fullback at all. And as I've mentioned before, I think once they, they call them outside backs or wide backs, whatever, occasionally in the States as well. Um, football originally was an awful lot like rugby with a slight tweak in the rules um, in that you essentially had your forward line. And then you had a line of two or three halfbacks, what you might now call a midfield, and a row of two or three fullbacks, what you might now call a defence. And um, eventually that balance was addressed. First, the inside forwards dropped off the forward line to become midfielders. And then the halfbacks dropped in between the fullbacks. So the fullbacks were then playing as the wider players um, on the defensive line. And then just naturally over time, that's become a more attacking uh, position than the halfback. Um, of why the half uh, we get we call them centre halves a lot, even though they're not half of anything. Um, they're centre backs as well. So yeah, name wise, it's very confusing. Um, but uh, it, that's how that they've arrived at this now quite attacking position. And Bardi, what's your understanding of when all this happened? Well, essentially, as, as Nathan said, there used to be like the old WM formation, which if you read Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramid, he goes into great details about where it came from. But essentially, they, they arrived um, thanks to Brazilian influence where they switched to um, a back four. 
And uh, the strange thing is that in Brazil, where they speak Portuguese, and um, in Spain as well, there doesn't exa- there doesn't even exist the word fullback. But they're the ones that kind of invented it. Instead, they use something called lateral, which means like on the side. So in um, 1958, Brazil turned up in Sweden, and this was probably the first kind of World Cup that had major global reporting there, whereas before that, there wasn't the technology and there wasn't the appetite for it. Everybody turned up at this World Cup, and as Nathan was saying, they were playing kind of free at the back, and then all of a sudden, here was this Brazilian team playing a kind of 4-2-4, and... um, they, I don't think they conceded the goal until the semi-final. And they had this um, amazing fullback, Nilton Santos, who was just rampaging up and down the wings. And no one could really no one could really cope with it. And um, the fact that it was the first kind of media-attended um, game kind of gives more... Um, you kind of understand why Pelé bounced out of nowhere as a 17-year-old wonder kid and ended up being touted, as, in my opinion, incorrectly, as one of the greatest players <laughs> of all time. And any any chance to have a little dig at Pelé is always is also good. I, I, I'm guessing you probably also want to talk a little bit about Italy and their use of fullback. So let me give you the platform to do that right now. Well, you know what the Italians are best at doing is taking a product that's already pretty good and then kind of jazzing it up, putting a little bit of kind of you know superficial gloss on it and making it look great, and then claiming that they invented it. But um, so in this case, I'm talking about like the the Catenaccio. Which um, which is an Italian. It's, I think it's actually Swiss, but it was kind of modified and, and made great by um, by by Italy and not necessarily Italian managers. But the the most famous team to have used this formation is um, Helena Herrera's Grande Grande Inter. I didn't want to do the accent, but because <laughs> but I, I did it anyway. So the the Grande Inter team, which of course had one of the best um, fullbacks of all time in Facchetti. And um, if you read about what Herrera used to say about his team, he gets kind of upset when people see, when they attach the kind of defensive and ultra defensive words around Catenaccio, when in fact he had a fullback who, um, who he said scored as many goals as a forward. It's, um, it's a little bit of bragging, but it's, it's, still, it's still true that he had a very attacking fullback. It's just that fundamentally he got the, um, he got the defensive principles correct by using a sweeper. They were a team that would drop deep and then use the overlapping fullbacks and quick counter-attacking to destroy teams. And for, for a long time during the 60s, they did do that until um, Renus Mikkels at Ajax came along with his total football and kind of destroyed them. But um, it still stands that um, the fullback became an essential part of um, Italian culture and Italian football and of, of world football. And we're kind of here today still obsessed with who's playing at fullback. And of course, one of the most famous Italian fullbacks was Maldini, of whom Alex Ferguson said Maldini went through the entire 90 minutes without tackling. This is, that is an art and he is the master of it. He's a great player. Nathan, I understand you take great exception to that quote. <laughs> it's not true. It's not, it's not true at all. Uh, it's something that Maldini um, has uh, perpetuated himself. There's, there's two main issues. One is that there's a translation issue in that when um, Italians and Germans use the word tackle, and hopefully Barty can back me up here, they often, ref- are, and Spaniards as well, they're often referring exclusively to slide tackles, whereas in England we include standing tackles with slide tackles and maybe we throw interceptions in there as well and everything. So there's a bit of a translation thing there. Um, but it's also just nonsense completely because uh, Maldini was putting up a huge number of slide tackles every game as well. We we have the statistics. 
Yeah, it's true. And like one of the the moments when Maldini's career ended as a um, as a fullback was in Euro '96, where he kept going for slide tackles on Poborski, and he kept he kept missing. And it was at that point that he kind of got shifted inside. So he did make tackles, but you know, it's a um, it's more I think it's more reference to his elegance and how the fact that he never really had to make a last ditch sliding tackle. And if we bring this back to England um, briefly. Uh, to 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 an era an era that I feel more confident talking about the nineties kind of my education into football really um, in the Premier League we we had a very famous team Kevin Keegan's Newcastle playing with a back three which as far as I see it really set the tone for the current style of modern fullback in in our country um, so I, was, John Beresford was the left back I think Warren Barton was probably primarily their their right back in in that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had so much freedom because they had the three centre-backs, um, and essentially they played as wingers, which allowed an extra forward or an extra attacking midfielder, um, and it, and England ended up using the same formation under Hoddle, um, and, and I, I think Spurs then, of course, under Hoddle used the formation as well, and it became a bit of a a bit of a fad in the mid mid uh, to late nineties and then early two thousand. Yeah, I'd like to add that uh, Bobby Robson in uh, in Italia ninety used a back three, even though it wasn't really the most attacking um, setup with Parker and um, and Pierce. It was still it still showed um, the importance of having ball playing fullbacks, those who were comfortable on the ball and could step into midfield. So you've asked us to talk about our favourite fullbacks. Um, or, or who we think are the greatest fullbacks of all time, Bardi, um, and and to explain a bit about why we love them or admire them. So why don't you kick us off? Why don't you talk about who the player you think is the greatest of all time? Well, before I get destroyed, I would these are these were like my favorite. These I asked people to list like their favorite fullbacks. I've not gone for the the greatest fullback. I'm not saying that my choice is the greatest ever because I don't I don't need that war on. T- I don't need that war. <laughs> But um, I chose um, Vincent Candela, who's a um, a French fullback who, unfortunately for him, lived in the same time as Lizarazu and Turam. So even though he went to um, the World Cups, he went to um, France 98, he went to Euro 2000, he wasn't actually a starter there because, you know, you got two magnificent other fullbacks in front of him. Um, I think Jonathan Wilson said that um, there was a pattern during the 90s and early 2000s where the, the team that had the best fullbacks ended up winning the World Cup. But um, Candela really kind of came to four um, when he joined Roma. And Roma is a team that's only ever won three Scudettos in his life, in their life, in their lifetime. And in 2000, 2001, they, they won a uh, Scudetto. And at left back, they had Vincent Candela. And then at right back, they had Cafu. And what made um, Candela different from the from the rest of the rest of fullbacks is he was what you'd call almost like an inverted fullback. He was a left back who was right footed, predominantly right footed. So um, even though he was decent on his left, he often found himself cutting inside and offering a kind of a different attacking and um, playmaking playmaking role. His um, his goalkeeper at the time, Antonioli said um, he was a fullback who had the who had the feet of a number 10 but as well as that had a like serious physical presence and Candela and his combination with Cafu was um, part of the reason and with Totti and Cassano up front was part of the reason why that Roma team did so well and um, won the Scudetto. Um, Michael Cox on his zonal marking listed that Roma team as one of the top teams of uh, of the 2000s. He put it in his top 10 of the 2000s. Um, 
if you can check him out, there's still there's good footage of him. And there's a, there's a beautiful cross where he'll cut down on the left-hand side and with his outside of his right foot, just kind of curling a beautiful cross for Montella to score. He was a lovely player. And although he wasn't the greatest, he's, he's probably my favourite ever fullback. A beautiful tribute. <laughs> uh, so I, I've chosen a player who I believe may well be the greatest full, fullback of all time. But he's also a player I hugely admire anyway, and that's Philip Lahm. So uh, Lahm played for Bayern Munich via their B team and a two-year loan at Stuttgart. So he wasn't entirely a one-club man, uh, but pretty much. He was Bayern's captain between 2011 and 2018. He won eight league titles, six German Cups, Champions League, the World Cup. He was German Football of the Year in 2017. I mean, I'd say that's basically the perfect career that a player might have. Um, Pep Guardiola famously described him as perhaps the most intelligent player I've ever trained in my career. And it's a bit odd in a way that I'm picking Lahm because he was arguably only fully appreciated as one of the best players of all time after he was converted to deep midfield. But he was truly an exceptional fullback. He could play either side due to his two-footedness. So I guess there's a there's a, a, a comparison there with um, Bardi's choice. We've both gone for kind of adaptable players who can do a bit of everything. Um, Lahm played the first half of his career as a left-back and then moved to the right, where he became almost a deep-line playmaker from that position, most famously linking up with Robin. He was renowned for his intelligence, and I think that's perhaps why I admire him so much. I do like intelligent footballers. He seemed to always make the right decision, always protected the ball so well. Um, it was said, Lam is a master of receiving the ball and taking it forward in the same movement. His body often deliberately leaning forward. He glides over the field, not just shuttling up and down the right flank, but also drifting deliberately infield, penetrating crowded mind midfields from a deep right position that was Jason Humphreys in the Guardian writing about him and I really like that quote that's a that's a lovely quote about a footballer yeah yeah he's uh, is a, in fact I recommend reading that article about him generally it's, it's a great piece um interestingly Lum started off as a forward and I, I, I assume can only assume he got moved back due to his size um but that kind of makes sense because he is so technically adept and he seems to constantly have time on the ball um which I find remarkable for a player often playing in crowded areas of the pitch. Uh, so he captained uh, Germany to victory at the 2014 World Cup. And kind of typically for him, he played half a tournament in midfield and then moved to right back um, with their defence starting to creak a little. And with him in the back four, Germany conceded just one goal. And that was a very late consolation anyway in the 7-1 win over Brazil. He didn't commit a foul in the Bundesliga between September 2014 and October 2015, which is also remarkable and almost reminded me a little of Ledley King in a sense as well. Um, I think Lahm would fit into pretty much any team, any squad because he's so adaptable, because he can play on the right, he can play on the left and because he can play in central midfield. And I'm going to read out another quote because I think it sums it up beautifully also. It's from a German journalist called Uli Hesse and he said, uh, from one day to the next... Joachim Lowe had to make do without one of the best defensive midfielders in the world, one of the best left-backs in the world, the best right-back in the world, and his right-hand man on the pitch, a player whose understanding of the game is so faultless that the most famous coach in the world has called him the most intelligent football he's ever worked with. These four key figures are called Philip Lahm. The other nice thing to mention about Lahm is that he runs a foundation which focuses on improving lives in South Africa through football. Um, and in 2008, he helped, helped to um, find a club just outside Johannesburg and the foundation regularly run activities and tournaments there. And that kind of just shows that he's not just a good footballer, but a good person. So, um, yeah, I hope that's done him justice. Yeah, and the fact that the German national team today is a shadow of what it once was. And I think that is down in a large part to Lahm no longer being there. Right. 
Alarm utilize is one of my uh, favorite, perhaps most underutilized uh, techniques in all of football, which is the hook sliding tackle where he completes a sliding tackle and then he just folds his tackling leg inside himself to play the ball before he's even beginning to get up. Um, yeah, that's just an alarm special. I'm going to mention um, another player who was in the uh, 2014-7-1 game uh, on the other side, and that is Marcelo. Um, we... Um, mentioned uh, Roberto Carlos earlier and, and Marcelo is sort of the Roberto Carlos of my generation. Um, I was not hugely fond of, of Marcelo when I was younger and I, I a lot like people do with Carlos, I think still uh, saw him as, as not really a fullback, as, as too attacking and, and detrimental. And my belief in that peaks in that 7-1 game. Um, David Luiz gets a lot of the flack for that game, um, but it was... And if you read Michael Cox's um, zonal marking piece of that game, um, it was really much more about Marcelo's aggressive positioning and the huge amount of space that it opened up on that flank. Um, so that was when I really thought, you know, Marcelo is so highly rated, but he shouldn't be because he can't defend and he's a defender. Um, but then I continued to watch Real Madrid games, uh, you know, through the rest of 2014 and into 2015. And I, I realised... We we view players as as good and bad too generally, and 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 Marcelo was a huge education point on on the specifics of. He was incredibly detrimental to that Brazil team in that moment in that game because the way they set up and the quality of the opposition they came up against meant that his positioning was a huge problem. But if you look at what he brings or has brought to Real Madrid over the last you know three four years and and in that time established himself as one of the very best fullbacks ever. I think rightly so. Um because he he brings so much in attack and and yes that is sort of counter to what we typically recognise as a fullback. But that doesn't mean there isn't a place for that. There isn't a time and a, and a context. Um Marcelo's been sort of on the way out uh this season. Um but now Zidane is back in charge. So it'll be interesting to see. He's now thirty and he's lost some of the athleticism that made him stand out so much over his career. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him now. I I, I like Marcello a lot. I think his relationship and the way he played with Ronaldo had a massive impact on Real Madrid collecting the last um, the last three Champions Leagues. Um I like the way he's even though he's left footed, he's confident to come inside on his right yeah. his on his right foot and create chances and score goals. You got remember he did the the fire assist for Gareth Bale's overhead against Liverpool as well. So yeah, I, I really like Marcello. I think he's a great fullback. So let's bring this back to Spurs, since we are a Spurs podcast after all. Um, but rather than talk about our current fullbacks, we're going to talk about some fullbacks pre-Pochettino. Um, and it's not been a position of strength, Spurs particularly, so this was quite challenging. But if we start with Bardi, who, who's been your favourite uh, Spurs fullback pre-Poch? Well, as you said, the fullbacks has always been a weak position. I'm going to go for a right back. And then I just started thinking historically about who's been the right backs in my lifetime. And it's like... Dean Austin, Tariko, um, Chimbonda, who who wasn't bad for a season, but I think um, I think it was uh, Choluka who actually changed um, actually changed our fullbacks for the better because he was um, he was comfortable on the ball, he was elegant, he was able to um, perhaps even though we know he didn't have the speed, he was able to get involved in attacking play and not be not be the kind of um, liability that our other fullbacks were. He didn't really dive into tackles. He was um, a quite an elegant footballer. And you can see by the fact that he's still now 
I mean, he was at the last World Cup. He's old, but his um, his game hasn't changed too much. And he's almost like a kind of a, a Ben Davies kind of figure where he was a reliable, all-round, solid defender. And um, his football intelligence was great. I think there was a goal, I can't remember now, it's gone from my head, but there was a goal that Cranchar scored, or maybe Modric scored. And there was a beautiful combination between Chorluka, Cranchar and Modric. And um, Modric finished off the move and it just showed that how smart of a defender he was. And for me, that was just a, a massive change from, from the Hutton's Chimbondas, who were a little bit of a loose cannon. And um, and then the fact that, of course, it's always a good sign for a fullback if they end their career at centre-back. It shows that they have some kind of understanding around um, around the position of play. If, um, if he was to be signed now, I don't think... He's definitely not a Pochettino fullback. He, um, unfortunately, despite the fact that all the good qualities I've just mentioned about him, he can't run up and down the pitch, and doesn't have that. He doesn't have the engine to be able to um, track back from a quick counter attack or push forward to create space. But um, I think he was. He was. He marked a massive sea change in our team, and was um, part of our evolution towards becoming a top a top four team. How about you, Nathan? So as I've sort of given away a couple of times before, um, I'm a bit of a Johnny come lately and there hasn't been a huge turnover of fullbacks at Tottenham over the last decade or so. Uh, so I'm going to mention Benoit Asso-Okoto. Um Now, I, first thing I have to do is I have to acknowledge the um, the terms, the awful terms that he left Spurs on, which is that he came out in support of Anelka, who um, did the Canel gesture, which is a broadly... Um, acknowledges an anti-Semitic gesture, so we I have to sort of acknowledge that first. Um, but moving on to him as a player, um, I I I found him a weirdly refreshing character. He was always incredibly honest about his lack of love for football. And as fans, normally, uh, obviously, we want the player and we fall in love with the player. You know, Harry Kane, who adores the club, who grew up supporting the club, who gives it his all. Um, but I I found Akoto quite refreshing in in the way that he was honest about his um, very you know job like attitude. You know he turns up, he performs. He doesn't have to pretend he loves it. He doesn't have to pretend he knows everything about it. If he does the job, you know you can't blame him. And he certainly did do the job. His playstyle really matched that attitude. He had a, an extreme nonchalance. Um, the number of um, take ons he completed over by his own corner flag uh, was astounding um and a bit like Shaw Luca yeah wasn't the most incredibly athletic player um but was solid defensively made sensible decisions was good on the ball um yeah again like Shaw Luca I think there's a comparison there with Ben Davies would he be compatible with Poch I think he'd probably be a decent second choice left back but like the ongoing problem we have at the moment which we promised we wouldn't mention um he he maybe lacks some of the athleticism that you would want um, I'd just like to add the the the, the guy that was responsible for signing um, Akoto Komoli um, said a fullback is expected to play short passes, be able to dribble in the final third, and be able to participate in combination play and play one twos through balls in a small space dimension. And previously, before that, 
a fullback was just kind of expected to cross the ball. So um, it kind of shows that the guy who signed him was looking for that kind of player who could who could do all of that. And Okoto, as well as becoming a bit of a cult favourite before, as Nathan mentioned, he left. Um, he could do all of that. He scored some. He scored some nice goals, and um, he, he did combine with, combine well with Bale during that. Um, he when it during the he plays on the left season with, under Harry Redknapp. And I think Asu Okoto was quite pivotal in the rise of. Gareth Bale in, in many ways actually um, I mean personally I actually think Danny Rose and Kyle Walker at, in their peak periods are probably the greatest fullbacks I've known at Spurs um, but I've picked I've picked a player just to be a little different I've picked a player who didn't really see his best years at Spurs but showed glimpses of what he could be and that's Christian Ziga so Ziga joined us under Hoddle in 2001 and I think he was he was either 28 or 29 by that point um, so he was sort of coming towards the end of his career. We got him for four million from Liverpool because he'd suffered injuries and he was struggling. But Hoddle is obviously a, a man who who rates fullbacks and, and sees fullbacks as such an important cog in the in the uh, team and was playing a, a back three at the time, which fitted Ziga's skill set perfectly. He had real pedigree. He'd come through at Bayern. He then played for Milan before moving to Middlesbrough, which was a, I always thought was a slightly odd move. Um, I mean, he played 72 times for Germany, so he was clearly, clearly highly well regarded. Um, and stylistically, I think at the time we saw Ziga as very good going forward and poor defensively, but I'm not sure that was entirely a f- not entirely a fair representation of him. I think he was better defensively than he was given credit for. Um, the thing is, he, he again wasn't hugely athletic, at, certainly at the point he joined Spurs. But it was his intelligence and timing of the run which made him so um, dangerous in the final third. But also his incredible left foot. Um, he was kind of famed for those perfect crosses into the, the corridor of uncertainty. It's a bit of a cliche to, to use that phrase. But, you know, those those crosses that go in front of the defence and just out of reach of the goalkeeper. Zika was the master at delivering those. And Hoddle's teams were kind of built upon um, that, that concept in many ways. And when I went back and watched Ziga, I mean, he, he was absolutely famous for scoring that wonderful free kick against Arsenal from a million miles out in, uh, oh God, 2002, I want to say. I think it was a one-all draw. Um, but also, there was another goal, which I'd forgotten when I watched back, where he kind of raced onto a, a, a long through ball and just uh, played the outside of his left foot, just beating the keeper. And it was, in many ways, a very modern goal. And when I watched the highlights of him, he really reminded me a lot of Marcos Alonso and what the way he played under, uh, under Conte at Chelsea, in that he did arrive in the box with quite a lot of regularity, which was unusual at the time. Um, so he stood out to me as a, as a highly technical player, who sadly had his career cut short by injury. He ended up leaving Spurs essentially on a fruit. We cancelled his contract because the injuries took hold. And actually, he later revealed that he nearly died after one of the injuries he suffered at Spurs. He got a, a knock on his thigh and the swelling was so significant that he almost had to have his leg amputated and, and ultimately it could have cost him his life. But luckily he recovered. The muscle, the muscle died and it cost him his career. But um, uh, he, he, he was, he's fine now, I'm glad to say. But um, he was a very elegant footballer who I enjoyed watching. I did like your very 90s comment about it, they're good going forward, but not very good going back. It was kind of like um, a thing in, in English football that if a fullback was good going forward, it just automatically meant they were <laughs> no good at defending. There's um, Phil Spreadbury, who was the former Southampton scout who um, discovered Luke Shaw. He said that um, fullbacks, there's a, there's a need now for creativity from fullbacks. And a decade ago, they were completing 059 I don't even know. I don't. I'm using stats now. 0.59. They were attempting 
0.59 amount of dribbles compared to today where it's 0.87. I'm not a stats man, but it seems like it's gone up. And also, they're now playing a considerably higher amount of proportion of passes in the opposition half than before. So the game has definitely changed. And um, I, yeah, I like Zeke. It was unfortunate we never saw him enough at Spurs. And I think what you just said there about um, the idea that a fullback is either good at one thing or the other is is very true and it's it's rare to get a player that's good at both um and I I thought Kyle Walker was always unfairly criticized for his defensive ability people would often uh quip that he was out of position or he had a brain fart that was the common expression used about Walker and I would always argue that no he just knew how quick he was so he could position himself 10 yards further forward than others because he had the pace the recovery pace to get back around and make challenges and interceptions and so that was in many ways a good use of his um his his assets to get the best out of himself um and I would argue uh, Gary Neville who I mentioned earlier kind of going against Carragher he was a player who was good at both ends of the pitch he was brilliant at centre-back when he's in the field and he's brilliant at full-back defensively but he was also one of the best crossers the Premier League's seen um he linked up remarkably well with Beckham often overlapping and he, he could kind of do a bit of everything I really like Neville I was a big fan I think one of the the criticisms that is was angled at Walker is he's always out of position is the fact that his starting position is so high up the pitch so it's just natural that if there's a quick turnover you you're naturally you've you've pushed up and you're going to have to use your physical attributes to get back and that's um it's some we didn't want to talk about modern day fullbacks but that's a right back at Tottenham right now is playing that walker position where he's really high up but unfortunately he's unable to get back and, and cover and one thing i'm just going to spring on you we weren't planning this but um i just think it's interesting if if formations if if the game of football was invented now if there was no baggage there was no history there's no uh, previous uh, knowledge of formations so we use the term for we, we use the formations 4231 or 343 or 352 4231 to me isn't representative of the shape of the team um given the position of the fullbacks in most modern 4231s is that uh is that nathan us hanging on to the past and the idea of the flat back four because there are so few flat back fours in modern football about a year ago uh the argentine national team uh, official twitter account uh tweeted out their formation in the attacking shape displaying a back two and there was a huge reaction to what was essentially just the same normal four two three one but in the attacking shape mm. i love that I, lo- I would i would love spurs twitter to do that that would be just it would be great to watch two four three one <laughs> let's do this i'm i'm all for it boys i've very much enjoyed this um trip back through memory lane do you have any further any other final comments you'd like to make um no but i mean the the development and transformation of fullbacks is happening everywhere you look i mean we have um players now who essentially were wingers becoming fullbacks because that's how important they are. Danny Rose was a winger when we signed him. He was an attacking left winger and he became a fullback. Um, Valencia at Man United was the same. But then you also have the kind of weird thing where Gareth Bale was a fullback and he was just so good at attacking that it became ridiculous to to play him at, at wing back but although there's part of me that still would quite like to see him there but it's a, it's an amazing position it's um, still a specialist role in my opinion that it takes people time to to learn the role and understand how to play it there was um, 
fantastic Italian youth player who was um, preordained for greatness. It was Davide Santon who ended up at Newcastle. And I don't even know where he is now. I think it's at Roma, maybe warm on the bench. But he was uh, he was probably the, the best Italian fullback at the age of 17. And he never made it. It's such a specialised and such a complicated role um, that I think we need to give players time to breathe and learn it. And if we're going to take that kind of attitude now towards a player like Carl Walker-Peters, I think we need to give them time and space to breathe and learn the role and not make judgments too early on them. Sure. Nathan, anything you'd like to add? Just that we've talked a lot about the development of the role and especially how much it's changed recently over the last decade. I think that the players, the fullbacks who are now peak age, are ones who are very much caught up between generations of fullbacks in that they were raised and trained to play fullback a certain way that isn't what the role is anymore. Um, and yeah, again, that is certainly the case for the, the the collection of fullbacks we have at the club now. Yeah, and I'd just like to make one more point that even the fullback position itself has become so specialised that Marcos Alonso is a wingback and he's unable to play fullback. It's it's the it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to develop. So I I thoroughly enjoyed this, but would be interested in listener feedback. So if if you would like more of these kind of episodes, get in touch. Let us know. Um, you can do that on Twitter at the Extra Inch. You can email us podcast at the Extra Inch You can at Bardi TFC, Nathan A. Clark, or me at Windy Coys. Let us know if you've enjoyed it. Please leave ratings, reviews on iTunes, and we'll be back very soon. It's the fighting clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate. Yeah. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.